0: Thank you, Tim. Good morning, church. Good to see you all today. Uh, we are taking uh, just a short break from our series through the Psalms of Ascent. And so, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. That is where we're going to be spending some time today. I, uh, I heard a joke recently about a guy who was driving his shiny new BMW around a curvy road. When suddenly he realized that the car was out of control and about to plummet over a cliff. And so at just the last moment, he jumped out, but his left arm was severed from his body. So he stood there at the top of the cliff looking down at his BMW. He said, oh no, my car, my car. The man who had stopped to help him said, Mr., you have just lost your left arm, and you're crying about your car? He looked at where his arm used to be, and he said, Oh, no, my Rolex watch. (laughs) You know, many things matter in life, but some things matter more. Is that right? And so how do we decide between what matters and what seems to matter. A number of years ago, the distinguished publishing house of Grosset and Dunlap brought together a panel of 28 educators and historians, and they were asked to select the 100 most significant events of history, and then list those in order of importance. And so after months of labor and negotiations, the panel reported that they considered the most significant event of history to be the discovery of America. And then in the second place was the invention of the movable type by Gutenberg. And then there were 11 different events that were tied for third place and five events tied for fourth place. The events tied for fourth place were the writing of the Constitution of the United States, the development of ether, the development of the x-ray, the discovery of the airplane, and finally, the life of Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus came in fourth, after a whole bunch of other stuff. And so, how do we decide? If you're a thoughtful person, that question Might dog you all of your life between what matters and what seems to matter. How do we decide? Really, we're faced with that kind of a question on a daily basis. How do I use my dwindling time? How do I spend my limited resources? We have chores to attend to, books to read, people to call, responsibilities to fulfill. If you're married, you have a responsibility to your spouse. If you have children, you have a responsibility to them. If you have a job, you have a responsibility to the people that pay your salary. If you serve in the church, you have a responsibility to the body of believers. And so between what matters and what seems to matter, how do you decide? Does it ever seem to you as though we are always weighed down by the tyranny of the urgent So many things to do, so little time. It's Kind of like taking a cup of water and going down to the shore, to the coast, to the Pacific Ocean. And you take your cup and you dip and you dip and you dip a cup at a time and pretty soon you have a puddle at your feet. But the Pacific Ocean is always there. And at the end of the day, you wonder if you've done anything worthwhile with your time. At the end of the week, at the end of the month, at the end of a career, at the end of your life, you wonder, have you decided well between what matters and what seems to matter? But really, there's a question that's even deeper than that, and that is between what matters and what really matters. How do you decide there? All kinds of things take place in your life. And they all matter. If I were to ask a a person that's committed to laws and rules and principles, what do you think matters? They might say, justice matters. And another person with a, a loyalty to philosophy and reason might say, well, Rob, ideas matter. The ideas as they've come throughout history, the ideas that we have to wrestle with now, those really matter. If I were to ask some of my pastor friends, they might say, well, preaching matters. What good is it to have all this information stuffed in our heads if we can't get it across to somebody else? Perhaps a person more serious might say, well, Rob, faith matters. Without faith, the Bible says it's impossible to please God. Somehow we've got to create an environment where faith thrives. And then I have many friends with hearts of mercy and if I were to ask them what really matters, they would say, "Well, serving the poor matters." The Bible, they would say, has all kinds of things to say about ministering to those in need. And then I have friends that are uh, just have a—they're highly attuned to to uh, the idea of responsibility. And if I were to ask them what really matters, and they they would say, "Well, all of those things that you've mentioned are fine, but you've got to understand commitment matters. Commitment. Jesus didn't say." come and follow me and we'll go to Sunday school. His call was, come and die. And so, Rob, somehow we have to understand that commitment is what matters. And we ask, which of my friends is right? Which of those things matter? The answer is, they all matter. They all matter. And so the question really isn't, does it matter? But the really important question is, what matters most? What matters most? That's the answer that I want to explore this morning. We're going to look in Paul's first letter to the Corinthian church. And in chapter 12, he spends quite a bit of time talking about spiritual gifts. And Paul was, was not interested in downgrading spiritual abilities. He wanted to lift them up. And so in chapter 12, it's the gifts of the Spirit, he says, that enable the church to to thrive. And and, and so he spends time considering the, the variety of gifts and how they bring unity and diversity into the Lord's church. And then he lists the various roles and responsibilities as they relate to the gifts. But then at the very end of chapter 12, in the very last verse, he says, but I show you a more excellent a more excellent way. And what Paul is going to tell us is that it is the way of love. That love is all that really matters. And then if we were to miss it in chapter 12, we could go into chapter 14 in verse 1, where Paul says, pursue love. Make that Your aim and your ambition, your pursuit to follow, to chase after love. Earnestly desire spiritual gifts, Paul says, by ministering in love. But really love. Love is what really matters. But I really want to spend some time today in chapter 13. In chapter 13, here uh, Paul offers what some scholars call the hymn of love. The hymn of love. Paul lays it all out in the first stanza of this great hymn in verse 1 of chapter 13. In verse 1, he says, If I speak with the tongues of mankind and angels, but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. You see, Paul imagines that somebody who is able to speak all of the languages of earth, Talk about the gift of tongues. Nobody's ever had that gift to that extent. I knew a kid in high school. His dad was a professor at the university, a linguist. His mom was from another country. And his grandparents were from other countries. And so my friend could read 11 different languages. And he could speak fluently in six different languages. And he was in high school. As far as I know... So he never spoke with angels, but he could speak a lot of languages. He couldn't speak all the languages of the earth, but he was able to communicate with a wide variety of people because of the languages that he could speak. Imagine what a wonderful missionary he would have made. Well, this idea of being able to just communicate is is the picture that Paul uh, that Paul paints here. Paul says, here's a person who any time were he to land in an airport, he could speak with everybody that he came in contact with. And yet, Paul said, if you had that gift, to speak all of the tongues, no one's ever had a gift that great. But if you had it, and you don't have love, then what does he say? You're just a noisy gong, a clanging symbol." The word for gong here, it's the Greek word chakos, and it was a huge gong. Think of one of those giant gongs. Remember the old gong show? They'd come out and hit the gong. Think of a gong like that, but those gongs were in the pagan temples. Paul's writing to the church in Corinth, and they were familiar with these great temples that were erected in their city, and so they would have understood what he was talking about here, and this giant gong would be hit over and over. It would stir people into a frenzy as they came to worship the pagan god. And they would bang that gong and bang that gong. And then somebody else would crash cymbals together. Think of the big cymbals in the the symphony orchestra. You know, every once in a while, and off goes the cymbals. But think of that over and over and over again. The gong and the cymbals banging and crashing together. And they had one thing in common that was there was no real music there as they crashed and they banged all they made was a loud senseless din and paul is saying without love without love your gift of languages your gift of eloquence it's just a loud noise And then he turns from the gift of tongues and he talks about other gifts that he appreciates. And here he says in verse 2, If I have the gift of prophecy, and I know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to move mountains, but do not have love, I am what? Say it with me. Nothing. Nothing. Have you ever met somebody that just seemed to know a lot about nearly any subject? You know who I'm talking about, right? They're kind of annoying to be around. They know something about everything. But I want you to imagine that person, but they really have all knowledge. You could take all of us here in this room together, and we're, we're thinking about a person that has all of the knowledge all of us have, and more. Somebody has all the knowledge. And, and this person, not only that, then they understand all mysteries. They're able to figure out all the hard questions of life, And answer them concisely. They've got it down. And then what's more, they they have the gift of prophecy. They can speak clearly and communicate concisely. This person can do it all. And then what is more, this person is an amazing person of faith. They can move mountains. This is the kind of person that, that starts a ministry or founds mission movements or starts churches who can see where God wants him or her to go And although there might be mountains of difficulty, they have so much faith that they're able to just see their way right through it. Think about leadership. Talk about leadership. This is the kind of person that you write biographies about. And yet Paul says, if you could do all of that, all of that in one package, wow. But if you don't have love, you are what? Nothing nothing. I want you to imagine that you have a $50 bill. You take that $50 bill and you go and you buy some groceries. The clerk takes your $50 bill and she puts it in the cash register. And then a a little later, the manager comes by. The manager needs some funds to pay the electrician that has been making some uh, repairs. And so they go to the, the clerk's till and they take out some money, including your $50 bill. They leave an IOU and they pay the electrician. Then the electrician leaves the store and he realizes he needs some gas for his truck. And so he drives across the street and he goes over to the Chevron station and he fills his truck up and he pays for his gas with your $50 bill. And then later the man who runs the gas station has a visit from his landlord and the landlord wants to pay the rent for the month. And so the gas station operator takes your $50 bill with all a bunch of other money and he gives it to the landlord. And then as the landlord is on the way to the bank, he remembers that he's going to mail a letter to his daughter who's away at college. And so he writes a nice note to her and then he tucks that $50 bill into that envelope, takes it to the post office and sends it off to his daughter who's away at college. Because he wants her to know that he loves her and he's thinking about her. Well, a few days later, that young lady gets that letter from her dad. She opens it up and there's that $50 bill. And so she takes that $50 bill and she goes down to the campus bookstore and she buys some of the supplies that she needs. And the manager of the bookstore at the end of the day, it's time to make the deposit. And so he takes your $50 bill along with all the rest of the money he needs to make a deposit and he takes it to the bank. And as the teller is counting out the money, they come to your $50 bill and they discover that it's counterfeit. It's counterfeit. Now that bill has gone all over. It's gone all over doing good things. It's bought groceries and paid for the electrician and purchased gas and became a gift for a college student and it's bought needed supplies. But when it comes to the bank, where only real value counts, that $50 bill is worthless. It's worthless. And folks, in a similar way, it is possible To use the gifts that God has given you. To do all kinds of things. To come to church regularly. To attend a weekly midlife, midweek group. To read your Bible. To serve others. But when we stand before God, with whom only real value counts, if we don't have love, If we've not lived our life in love, then we ourselves are nothing. Nothing. And then Paul takes this a step further. Not only do you live your life and do your gifts without love and that accomplishes nothing, not only do your gifts ministered without love make you nothing, but then he says in verse 3, and if I give all my possessions to feed the poor... And if I surrender my body to be burned, but don't have love, it profits me, what? Nothing. Notice here is an individual. An individual who's concerned about the poor. So concerned that, it, that, that she gives all that she has to the poor. Not just the interest, but the principle as well. And then Paul goes on and he says, if I surrender my body to be burned, surrender my body to the flames. Some commentators suggest that in the ancient world, where many Christians would have been in slavery, a brother who was free would sell himself into slavery and have the mark of the slave owner burned into his skin so that he could ensure the release of a brother or sister in Christ so that they could then be free from slavery. The point here, however, is clear. If I give myself in sacrifice, if I give my money to feed the poor, if I do all of that, but I don't have love, then when I stand before God one day, I will gain nothing, nothing. And so the point is clear, isn't it? I hope it is for you. Among the things that matter, love is what really matters. In fact, if we don't have love, then all of our Christian service comes to what? Nothing, nothing. Here at Garden Way Church, we have a motto It's on the wall, to know him, to love him, to share him. Not only is it on the wall, it's painted on the wall out in the lobby. If you picked up the program this morning, it's printed on the bottom of the program every week, to know him, to love him, to share him. If you go on our website, you will see this motto. Any type of publication we put out, you will see this motto, to know him. To love him, to share him. What's right in the middle? To love him. Say it with me. To love him. And, brothers and sisters, it can't just be words on a wall, it can't just be words printed on a piece of paper can't just be a motto that we toss out and then forget it must be who we are and who we are becoming this is the goal of our life in christ to reflect his love to others on the very last night of his life jesus spent some time with his disciples You remember the story. They were in the upper room. They shared a meal together. During that mealtime, Jesus got down on his hands and knees and he washed the feet of his disciples. During that evening, he told them, one of you guys is going to betray me. And they all said, it's not me, God. It's not me, Lord. And Then he told them that he was going to go away. And he said, where are you going? And he said, where I'm going, you can't come. And then he spoke to him these words in John 13, verses 34 and 35. He says, a new command I give to you. A new command. Now, here's Jesus. He spent three years investing in these men, teaching them, modeling for them, living with them day in, day out, and what is one of the last things he tells them? By the way, guys, I've got a new command for you. A new command I give you love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. And then he goes on and he says, This by this, by your love for one another, everyone will know you are my disciples. If you love one another. Do you think that was a seminal moment for those men? Do you think as they look back in their life that they would remember those last words of Jesus? I think so. Love one another. See, love is the mark of our faith. It must be branded on our hearts, burned into our souls, and then lived out so that the world can see. You know, 2020 has been a horrible year, hasn't it? A worldwide pandemic. A tumultuous election season in our nation. Wildfires here in our state and right in our community. Heartache, stress, and anxiety here in our church. It's been a rough year. Friends, I want to challenge you. Let's plan together today, right now, for 2021. Let's plan for next year that it will be a year shaped by love. The year of love at Garden Way Church. Let's live together that middle statement to love him as his family. Of all the things that matter, love matters most. And you know what? We can take joy in that. If you are a follower of Christ, you are better at loving than you think you are. You realize that? The same God who has given you gifts is the same God whose love fills your heart. It is the work of the Holy Spirit that produces love in our life. If we're a follower of Jesus, we all have gifts. God gave us those gifts. But more importantly, he has enabled us to love. We must love one another deeply. and Above all, we must love him. Many things matter in this life. But the most important thing is to do everything in love. Of all things that matter, love matters most. Dick Hauser was a major league baseball player. He was a shortstop then he became a coach, and then he became a manager. He's best known as being the manager of the Kansas City Royals. And he guided them to the franchise's first ever World Series title in 1985. It's a crowning moment of his life. The greatest achievement that a baseball manager can have, to win the World Series. The very next season, after winning the World Series, Dick Hauser was diagnosed with a brain tumor. And just a few months later, he died. His wife, Nancy, wrote about his life, and I want you to listen to her words. She says, As a child, I was brought up to believe that it was not whether you won or lost, but how you played the game. But then, in the real world... I found that to be all wrong. Dick and I learned that you have to win to get anywhere, and it didn't matter how you did it, as long as you won. But now, after what's happened to my husband Dick, I realized that my priorities in this so-called real world were all wrong. Now I understand the old way was right. You know, It really and truly is how you play the game. What an amazing statement. And folks, our game is not baseball. Our game is eternal life. Our pursuit is not a World Series, but a place in the eternal household of God. And the way that we play the game must be the way of love. May we love freely and deeply. May we leave behind our personal pursuits and agendas and selfish desires. Let's ignore the, the noisy gongs and clanging symbols of this world that beckon us to worship at the altar of self so that together, together, we can walk in love and peace and unity. This is my prayer for Garden Way Church in the year ahead. And I invite you to make it your prayer as well. Because love is what matters most. Let's pray together. Father God, we are so blessed Father, that you loved us first. Father, you extend love to us when we are unlovable, when we are ugly and broken, lost, confused. Father, you pour love into our hearts and you beckon us, you invite us, you call us out of this noisy, clanging, ugly world. You call us into your kingdom of light, and life, and love. Father, as we receive that love, may we we individually and, and together as a church family, Lord, may that be our mark. May our community see the love that flows through this place, through this body of believers. May we reflect you and your love in all that we say and do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, in John chapter 15, we hear the words of Jesus, beginning in verse 12, he says, My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Then he goes on and he says, Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. Folks, you are a friend of Jesus. I'm a friend of Jesus. And he laid down his life for us. So today, as we share together in communion, I want to invite you to meditate on his command. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. So you're invited as the music plays to share in the Lord's Supper today. Got the four stations, two at the front, two at the back. We invite you just to make your way there. One of the things we want to begin to do also as I understand that there's some of you that perhaps physically it's difficult to make your way to one of the tables. If that's true for you, you'll just raise your hand. We have some folks that would be glad to come and bring communion right to your place. We can't do that for everybody, but if you need that help, please raise your hand and somebody will bring communion to you. May we love each other as Jesus has loved us. God bless you today.